Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us, either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Matthew chapter 11 is where we're gonna be and we're gonna begin in verse 25. Matthew 11, verse 25. Let's stand one more time to get the blood flowing. Hear the words of our God through the apostle Matthew. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. If you know Jesus, it's because God the Father has revealed himself to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You may be seated. It is Pentecost Sunday and we pray that the Holy Spirit is moving already, but the question I want to ask you is this. How many of you are tired, worn out, weary, longing for vacation, right? A break, a getaway, an escape, maybe just disappear. You know, for a lot of people, your normal day feels something like a perpetual summer camp and a three-ring circus. Somewhere in like that. We all go through the busyness of life. I mean, if you think about that, if you ask people how they are doing, uh, their answer is typically, I'm good, but I'm busy. Anyone else busy? It's a busy time of year. Isn't every time of year a busy time of year? Isn't there just some days that you just wouldn't mind getting off the merry-go-round that's called life? Wouldn't you just like to get away and have a break and and find rest. Although how many of you, when you've got a vacation, uh, spent a week off or two weeks off that you needed a vacation from your vacation? You know, those of you who take vacations with your kids, those aren't vacations, those are trips, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Can I get a witness to that? Like when my kids were little, we would go to the beach and it wasn't very fun. <laughs> We try to keep them from dying, okay? Yeah, there's nothing more relaxing than keeping your kid from stepping on a jellyfish or eaten by a shark, right? Um, but we long for vacations. We long for rest. It's something within all of us. Have you ever wondered why that is? 
Why is it that you're longing for just that moment where you can just chill? Well, the reason why is because you were created for rest. And one of the big themes in Scripture that that often we don't really think about is the theme of rest. It's the theme of Shabbat, the theme of the Sabbath. And so over these next seven weeks, we are going to unpack what God's Word has to say about rest, what God's Word has to say about Sabbath. The word Sabbath, maybe it's a churchy word for some of you, the word Sabbath simply means to cease or to stop. That's that word Shabbat. The word rest in the Hebrew is the word nuach, which means not just to rest, to stop doing something, but it means to settle in, to to get nestled down. And so rest is that quest of all humanity. It's what we were created for. And so, like I said, we're going to be walking through this literally from Genesis to Revelation, looking at the theology of Sabbathing and the theology of rest. And my hope is, is that as we go through this together, we find our ultimate rest in Jesus. And so here, as we begin this sermon series, we start with Jesus. That's who we should start with. That's who we should finish with. That's who we should learn from. Because as we're going to learn today is that if you want to learn how to have rest, you need to learn from Jesus. Well, Matthew chapter 11 is kind of a turning point in Jesus's ministry. Uh, the religious elites are now after Jesus. They want blood. They are plotting his murder. And Jesus in chapter 11 is going to denounce those cities that he had spent the majority of his time in, Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazin. He's going to condemn them for their unbelief. He had spent two-thirds of his time in those cities, and yet they did not believe him. And then within that, he, he makes two bold declarations. One, he declares that all things have been handed over him to him by his Father. And if you ever wondered, does Jesus ever claim to be God, he clearly knows who he is. He is divine. He is God. And then he talks about this whole idea of if you know me and you know the Father, the only way that you can know the Father is through me. And the only way that you'll know either one of us is that I have to do something. I, it has to be my will. And, and so he makes this bold declaration over the sovereignty that God has over salvation. And then in the midst of these big, bold statements, he makes a gracious invitation He makes a gracious invitation to anyone that hears him that they can come to him and find rest for their weary souls. So if you came in, if you just came in off the street, you're worn out, you're tired, Jesus has got an invitation for you. And he makes precious promises of rest because he is the Lord of rest. That's why as soon as Jesus makes this gracious invitation, Matthew records two stories that deal with the Sabbath day and point us to Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. See, he is the Lord of Shabbat. He is the only one who can give you Shabbat Shalom, the rest that your weary soul is longing for. And so for those who would be followers of Jesus, this is the overarching thought of the entire series is that Jesus offers a gracious invitation that exchanges our restlessness for his rest. He wants to take us from chaos to completion, from ruin to rest. So let's just unpack that. Number one, let's look at the gracious invitation for restless people. Jesus in verse 28 says, come to me. It's a personal invitation to come to Jesus alone. Jesus doesn't say come to church, doesn't say come to a program, doesn't say come to religion or an institution. 
Jesus doesn't offer some sort of complicated formula, a fourfold path, five pillars of peace, 10 helpful hints from Heloise. He just says, abandon all other resources and come to me. Now, who is this invitation to? All who are laboring, all who labor and are heavy laden, those who are weary, those who have worked to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever worked to the point of exhaustion? Maybe worked out to the point of exhaustion? It's not so much the act of labor, it's the after effects of the labor. You are worn out, you are weary. And then he talks about heavy laden, you are burdened. You are carrying a weight that is too heavy. You are overburdened. So he's not saying, come to me if you've got everything figured out. Come to me if you are happy. He says, no, come to me if you're worn out, if you're weary, if you're overburdened, come to me. And that may be where some of you are today. You just barely made it in here tonight, today. You just barely, you just kind of wheeled in here got out the door, didn't know if you were going to come in the service or not. You pop in here, you see a dock, you're like, what's going on? It's a dock in the middle of a room, waves going on, and you are spiritually, you're emotionally, you're physically exhausted, and you're overloaded. Jesus has come to me. Jesus is speaking to a group of people at this time that were uh, in the first century world that were living under Roman oppression and religious legalism. They were being exploited by the Romans. They were worn out and weary. Uh, They were helpless and harassed uh, because of the religious legalism of their day. They were loaded down with unrealistic expectations. They were loaded down by the demands of the society around them and the culture around them. And so that is where they were then, and that is where we are now. We are overwhelmed and overloaded by unrealistic expectations. These unrealistic expectations are those things that either we place on ourselves, society places on us, or others in our life place upon us. And we are overwhelmed by the demands of our culture saying that we have to be, do, think, and have all of these things in order for us to be happy. And if that is you today, there's good news. Jesus says, come. See, I believe that this is where all of us are. And you say, well, not me, pastor. Yes, you, all of us in this room. If you don't struggle with weariness or restlessness, then you're not human. And so if you are burned out and if you are burdened, if you are restless, if you are weary, Jesus says, come. Now, the question that may be in your mind is this, what's causing me to be this way? Why am I never really satisfied? Why do I struggle with just being tired? You know, the older you get, the more tired you can become, but that's not all about age. Why am I so weary? Why am I so worn out? Why am I so restless? And the answer is this, is because everyone in this room and those watching online were born with infinite desires, infinite desires, that we have these desires within us that are never satisfied. They, they may be satisfied in a moment, but, but then, then something else comes. And all of us are born with desires to know it all, to see it all, to do it all, and to be it all. Thomas Aquinas, the old theologian, once asked the question, what would it take to satisfy human desire? And his answer is everything. See, we have this infinite desire. 
Always wanting, always wanting, never really satisfied. And the problem is, is that we are finite humans. And so we live in space and time. You can't be two places at once. If you try to be two places at once, you'll split your pants. We are limited with only the ability to get, only to be at one place at one time with one body in one life. We are not infinite. We are not omniscient, all-knowing. We're not omnipresent everywhere. We cannot do it all, see it all, experience it all, and be it all. And the result is we have infinite desires, but we are finite humans. And the result of that is that we live in a chronic state of unsatisfied desires. We can't get no, can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) John Mark Comer, in his book that you'll hear me quote quite a bit in the series, the ruthless elimination of hurry says that we live in a culture that wants to transgress all limitations, not accept them to cheat space and time, to be like God, to watch every new film. Have you seen the new top gun to listen to every podcast, to read every new book and the classics as well, to hear every new song on Spotify, to go to every concert, drive every road trip, travel to every country, eat at every new restaurant, party at every new bar, befriend every new face, fix every problem in society, rise to the top of every field, win every award, and make every list of who's who. That's what we want to do, but we can't because we are human. And so you have this infinite desire and you add to that finite humanity and it equals restlessness because we cannot do, be, and know, and see everything. We live in a constant chronic state of restlessness and weariness, and we are overwhelmed, and we are overburdened because of the limitations of our finitude and the emptiness of our soul because of the brokenness of our sin. And you add to that this inner insatiable desire to do and this restlessness And you add to that our Western culture that is achievement-based. And so our culture says that you are what you have done lately. And so our culture values those who achieve. And so your worth in our society is in what you can do. And what happens is, is that insatiable infinite desire with our finite humanity and this inner feeling of restlessness causes us to fall into the traps of competition. So we get on Instagram, we get on Facebook, we get on Snapchat and we see everyone else is doing this. And then we go into these traps of comparison and we compare our life to their life. And now it's just one big competition, constantly looking at what others are doing and comparing whether our life is as awesome as their life is. You say, what? Yes, you and me. A.J. Sabota writes in his book on the Sabbath, he says, our time-saving devices, technological conveniences, and cheap mobility have seemingly made life much easier and interconnected. As a result, we have more information at our fingertips than anyone in history. Yet with all this progress, we we are ominously dissatisfied. 
In bowing at these sacred altars of hyperactivity, progress and technological compulsivity, I know those are big words, our souls increasingly pant for meaning, value, and truth as we wither away, exhausted, frazzled, displeased, ever on the edge. Think how many times you look at your phone. Do you know the average person looks at their phone 2,600 times, touches it, or looks at it a day? Our bodies wear ragged. Our spirits thirst. He continues, he says, as we drown ourselves in 24-7 living, we seem to be able to do anything but quench our true thirst for the life of God. And the result is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. You understand how much life has changed since 2007 with the advent of the smartphone and the iPhone? Do you imagine what we have at our fingertips? I mean, when my kids watch movies set in the 1980s, they can't understand why people can't just call each other in their cars. We have all of this information, all of these opportunities, all these gadgets and gadgets and gizmos, and yet we are, what he says here, the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished. Because we have this insatiable desire because of infinite desires in our heart and we're trying to fill them and we, it's not working and we are killing ourselves trying to find rest for ourselves. And Jesus just says, listen, come to me. And what? I will give you rest. Literally in the Greek, I will rest you. You and I cannot satisfy our desires on our own. We need someone outside of ourselves who is infinite. We need someone who is infinite enough to satisfy our restless, thirsty souls. And let me just let you in on something. If you're a middle school student, if you're a high school student, hear me now, college student, there's nothing and no one on this earth that is big enough or good enough that will ever satisfy the infinite desires of your heart. Period. Period. Augustine said in his writings, the confessions, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Dallas Willard writes, he says, desire is infinite partly because we are made by God, for God, to need God, to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it's displaced upon the things that will certainly lead to destruction. Have you ever had those moments where you are walking with God and you are satisfied with God and you were in the Bible and you were praying and, and you had this inner peace and, and, and a lot of chaos was going outside of you, but you were cool and you were calm and you were collective and you were walking with God and then life happens and then stuff happens and then you start walking with God. You stop going to church. You stop reading your Bible. You stop doing these things. D does it mean that those desires in your heart just go away? No. 
See, you were finding satisfaction to those desires in Jesus, but when you stop finding your these infinite desires being met by Jesus, you'll start looking to other things. You'll look to substitutes. And so what happens is, is that if you don't find your rest in Jesus, then you'll search for rest with substitutes. You'll look for love in all the wrong places. You'll hook up and you'll shack up with people. You'll think that romance is the secret to having a fulfilled life. Or you think, you know what? I don't need romance. I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I just need a career. And I'll just climb to the top of the ladder and I will find rest. Once I get to the very top of the ladder, ladder, it's going to be great. Or if I can just get this much money in my bank account, if I can have five houses and if I can have a 401k that would make everyone envious and if I can have all of this success with money, then I will have happiness. I will have security. I will have rest. Or you know what? I can find my rest and satisfaction and and children and, and a family. Or I can buy new stuff. I can buy a new boat. And I can buy a truck that pulls the boat. And then I can buy a beach that gives me access to the water with my new boat so that I can pull the truck back with the boat. And and if I can just get all these new toys or, you know, I need an iPhone 13 and I got to get a new one because if I don't get a new one, then I'm going to be behind. And if I can just get a new phone, my life will be solved. If I can just travel, if I can just get another stamp on my passport, if I can just go to another country I've never been before, then I'll be rested. If I can just get another degree, if I can just have more degrees than a thermometer, (laughs) then maybe, maybe. But here again, I want to remind you that nothing in this life apart from God can ever satisfy your desires. My desires, your desires are infinite and therefore only an infinite God can satisfy the infinite desires of our hearts. And so we will be restless until we find our rest in him. That's why he gives us this invitation. It's gracious. He says, come to me. So let's look at the second point. And that is the great exchange of restlessness to rest. How do I get rid of my feelings of restlessness. And how do I get his rest? Well, it's a journey. And listen to what he says in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. How does Jesus give us rest? He says, take my yoke upon you. So Jesus now is going to use a metaphor. And it's a metaphor about a yoke. And you say, well, what is a yoke? Well, he's not talking about the center of an egg. All yoking aside, that's not what it is. (laughs) A yoke, a metaphor that he's using here, uh, is a wooden harness or a crossbar that was laid on an animal or animals to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Often, animals would be tied uh, through the yoke to a plow and to another animal. The yoke in first century Judaism and the, the yoke in first century thinking symbolized subjection or obligation. In the Jewish way of thinking, a yoke represented the sum total obligations a person must take on themselves. In Jesus' day, rabbis would use this word yoke. Teachers would use this. The yoke or a yoke was an idiom in the first century for a rabbi's way of reading the Torah, the Torah. And so basically, this would be like pastors uh, having certain teachings and, and that if you wanted to know how to live life according to the pastor, you would put on the pastor's or the teacher's yoke. 
And so the, 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 the rabbi would uh, tell you, this is how you shoulder life. This is how you deal with marriage and parenting and prayer and money and conflict resolution and, and worship and exercise and hygiene and everything you can imagine. Each of these rabbis all around Israel would take, they would read the Torah, read the Bible, and then they would come up with their system. This is how you do it. So this is the Brumbach system for life, or this is this system for life, or that system for life. And so what people would do is they would follow people's different ways. It's kind of like a different diet. You, you ever been on a diet before? You ever been on the diet that was nothing but grapefruit? It was very sour. You know, you have the, like the, the keto diet. Anybody done like a keto diet, you know? So I'm, on, I'm, I'm in ketosis right now, preacher. I'm gonna lose weight and feel great. You know, I, I wanna be on the bread diet. <laughs> <laughs> sweet bread diet, right? The cake and ice cream diet, seafood diet, right? So basically that's what this was. And so you had to follow it just like you would follow a diet, a plan. And so in, in Jesus's day, people would be under the yoke of a rabbi and the yoke of this, these rabbis commandments. And, and, and often these rabbis would misinterpret the Torah and misinterpret the commandments. And what happened in first century Judaism is that that, that the yoke of the commands of the Torah boiled down that if you wanted a relationship with God, your relationship with God was just a to-do list. And so what happened is that the yoke of the, of the, the rabbis was all about rule keeping. And that if you keep the rules, if you are a good boy, if you're a good girl, if you do what the Bible says, and then also what I say, then you will maybe be accepted by God and maybe go to heaven. And just as that was taught in first century Judaism in Jesus's day, it's also taught all around the world today that basically says that if you're a good person and you do the right things and you play by the rules and you work really, 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 really hard, then you can go to heaven maybe. But let me just let you in on something. It doesn't matter how much you pray or how much Bible you read or how many sermons of mine or others that you listen to on podcasts or how many times you serve in the church or how much money you give or how nice of a person you are. If you are doing those things so that you can prove that you are worthy to God, it will never, ever be enough, ever, ever, never enough. And you will be exhausted. I was in a mosque a couple of weeks ago um, in another country, and I was talking to some guys in the mosque, and they are devout Muslims, and uh, Islam is a very works-based religion, and uh, they were there praying in the mosque, and, and I asked them, you know, why do you pray in the mosque? They said, well, we get, we get more credit from God, from Allah, by being in the mosque. Like, you just get more cred, you get more credit with, with Allah. And so I basically started talking to them, and their understanding of salvation was all a credit-based system. It's all about, you know, getting points, it's like a, it's, you know, some sort of point system. And I asked him, I said, how do you know you're ever good enough that you've got enough points? And they said, you'll never know until you die. How exhausting that would be. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people, even in the church, think that when they die, there's some scale. And if my good outweighs my bad, I'm in. And my bad outweighs my good, I'm out. But that's not Christianity. But the problem is we have yoked ourselves to this way of thinking. And the reality is, is that everyone in this room and everyone watching online has yoked yourself to something. There's something that you are yoking yourself to that you are following, some system, some way of life, some diet plan that you think that if I follow these things, it will fulfill the infinite desires of my heart, even religion. 
And the problem is, is that these plans, these diets, these programs, they, they become your master and you become enslaved to them. And now they promise joy, they promise life, but they lead to exhaustion, they lead to pain, and they lead to misery. Everyone in this room is yoked to something. Jesus says, if you want rest, take my yoke upon you. What made Jesus unique wasn't that he didn't have a yoke, he had a yoke. What made Jesus unique is the fact that he says that my yoke is easy. He had an easy yoke. The yoke of the, of the rabbis was a hard yoke. It was a difficult yoke. But yet Jesus's yoke is an easy yoke. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that being a Christian means that you're no longer gonna have hardship and no longer gonna have pain. That's not that word easy. The word easy here can be translated kind or can also be translated well-fitting, well-fitted. Have you ever worn clothes that didn't fit? Like when I was a kid growing up, my mom would buy me clothes that were like two sizes too big. And so I would run around and, and, and you know, I would look like I was wearing a tent, you know? Or some of you maybe have gotten clothes that were like really like tight. And like, remember back in the days when we used to call them high waters? Now it's just modern fashion, right? <laughs> One day baggy's coming back, Right? But when it doesn't fit right, it doesn't fit. Now, let me just go further. When, when he's using this word easy, it's going back still with that metaphor, talking about what a, what a farmer would do is that he would, make a, he would take the yoke and he would specifically design it for the animals that would be using the yoke. And it would be, it would design to fit their bodies so that it wouldn't chafe them and it wouldn't be a burden that was too heavy for them. And Jesus says that when you take my yoke upon you, it is an easy yoke, it is easy yoke, it fits you. It is shaped for you. Jesus says, listen, you take down the yoke that you can't carry. You take down the yoke that is chafing you. You take down the yoke, you get put, lay this down that's exhausting you, that's unbearable to you and put my yoke on. You know, I'd love to be able to tell you that I can bench press 350 pounds. I know some of you can probably think I do that, but I can't. It's too heavy for me. And listen, I can, I can get it down, but it's hard, <laughs> it's, it's hard to push it up. <laughs> it's too heavy for me. Some of you are like that. You are out there and you're trying to live life and it's too heavy for you and, you, and it's got you down and it never can get back up. And Jesus is saying, listen, put it aside, throw it away, stop following that pattern because I've got a yoke for you. It's easy. It's easy. How do we, how do, we do this? How, how do we put his yoke upon us? He says, learn from me. Remember the yoke of the rabbi? You learn from the rabbi. You follow the rabbi's way of life. Jesus here continues with both metaphors. And he says, put my yoke upon you. In other words, learn from me. Christianity is all about learning from and following Jesus. Christianity is about being a disciple of Jesus. That's what our mission statement is. That's what our vision statement is. We want to raise up the next generation of disciples of Jesus Christ, Period. Your life, if you are a Christian, is to follow Jesus. Don't think that being a Christian is praying some prayer, getting fire insurance, getting baptized, and then you can live like the devil. No, that's not Christianity. If you are not actively following Jesus, you may not be a Christian. John Mark Comer says that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. 
So all throughout the Bible, Jesus teaches us his way. He is the master teacher, but he's also the subject matter. If you want to learn rest for your souls, learn from Jesus. He knows the way because he is the way. He knows the truth because he is the truth. He knows the, he, he knows the way to life because he is the life. If you want to learn how to live life to the fullest and have satisfaction, learn from Jesus. And then he goes on, he says, I am gentle and lowly. This is the only place that Jesus tells us the character of his heart, gentle. He is, he is meek, he's not trigger happy, he's not harsh, he's not a reactionary, he's not easily exacerbated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. So you can come to him. He won't smack you around. Come to him, he's gentle and he's lowly, he's accessible. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, said that no other person in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. He says, come to me. Listen, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, he's honest here. If you follow Jesus, you'll have a burden. But it won't be your burden, it'll be his burden. He says, it's my burden. There are some burdens that that only you get because you're following him. But he says, listen, here's the good news. Just as my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's not heavy. How how is that not heavy? What's the burden of God? Does God lower his expectations? Does God grade on the curve? Is it all relative with God? You know what? God's expectations and his burden, it can be lowered for you. No, that's not what he's getting at. God's standard, you know what God's standard is? perfection. He's not lowering that standard. God doesn't grade you on the curve. But he says, though, if you follow me, I'm not lowering the standard, but I'm going to make it light. How does it, how does it happen? Go back to that analogy. When a farmer would plow the field, they would yoke two animals together, normally oxen, oxen. When the farmer would do that, they wouldn't put two oxen that were strong together. They wouldn't put two strong oxen because if they put two strong oxen together, it'd break the plow. They also wouldn't put two weak oxen in there because it wouldn't go anywhere. What the farmer would do is he'd put a strong ox in and a weak oxen in. And the strength of the strong would compensate for the weakness of the weak. And the weak would be strong by the strength of the strong one. And that's how Jesus makes our burden light, is that Jesus's strength compensates for our weakness. In other words, Jesus carries the load. Jesus carries the weight. When we take on his yoke, when we learn from him, the more we walk with him, the more we live with him, the the more that we follow him, we don't worry about the burden because he's carrying the heavy parts. Have you ever moved furniture with a kid, a small kid? Like when my kids were smaller, I used to like, I'd be moving stuff around. Hey, would you come here? The thing would be 150 pounds. I'm holding up 148. They're holding two. They're dying. They think they're dying, but I'm carrying the weight. Well, that's basically like what it is with Jesus. Jesus is carrying the weight. But here's the thing. It's not that Christianity is that you do your part and God does his part. Now that is a part of sanctification. But when it comes to your salvation, it's Jesus carries it all. <laughs> right? And the more you follow Jesus, the more you see he carries it all because Jesus did the heavy lifting at the cross. And what does he offer? 
If you follow me, if you take my yoke upon you, if you learn from me, what does he say? I will give you rest for your souls. What's, that's what we need. We need this soul rest. We don't just need body rest. We need soul rest. And the only way that the infinite desires of our soul can ever be met is by finding their rest in the infinite God. See, the world says, you know, you can, you, you can, you can rest. Just cast aside all responsibilities and all cares and live life your own way and you'll be happy. But it doesn't work because people who cast off everything are miserable. It's not when we cast off everything that we're happy. It's when we put on Jesus that we're satisfied. See, you and I cannot have two yokes on us. If you put two yokes on us, if you put two yokes on, you'll be torn apart. In other words, you cannot try to fulfill infinite desires with the things of God and the things of the world. It won't work. Tell your part. You can't serve two masters. You can't come to church, worship Jesus, and then go live like Satan the rest of the week. You'll be miserable. You have to learn the way of Jesus. And every day you have to put his yoke on you. And every day you have to learn from him. And every day you have to put his burden that's light on you. And listen, that's what we're learning over these next few weeks is how can I follow the way of Jesus? Because the way of Jesus is the way to true rest. That's what we're gonna be learning these next few weeks. Look, the point of Jesus's invitation was not try harder, but rather come to me. Lay your burdens down, lay your sin down, lay your guilt down, lay your efforts to try to please me down and just come to me. Let me end with this. I know you all are excited. It's a goofy illustration. If you hate it or if you love it, you don't have to tell me. Okay, I made it up. Imagine you're walking down the road with a very, very heavy backpack on, very heavy, 100, 150 pounds. You are struggling to get down the road. And the reason why is because your, your car broke down and you got everything out of your car and you put it in your backpack and you're walking down the road and it's very hot. It's because it's Florida, it's Naples, it's a million degrees. Your sweat is profusing, is so, you're so exhausted. You're walking, you've got miles to go. You're walking down the road, trying to get to your home, trying to get home. And a friend of yours that you see drives by and he sees you and says, hey, you're, what's wrong? And you say, well, my car broke down. I'm, I'm trying to make it home. I'm exhausted, I'm worn out. And your friend says, well, just step, come on in. Get on in my car. And you get in there and you, you get in, you sit in the seat and you're still grunting and you're still sweating and you're still, your back's still hurting and you're still exhausted. And your, and your friend looks at you, he's driving down the road and he's like, why are you so worn out? Why are you sweating? The AC's on, what are you doing? And he looks at you and he says, you still got that backpack on, don't you? He says, take it off, you're in the car. You don't have to hold on to it. The car will carry you. It'll, it'll take care of the backpack and it'll get you home. And you say, well, that was a stupid illustration. Many of you are carrying a backpack of sin and guilt and shame. And it was weighing you down and wearing you out. And you were on a highway to hell. But Jesus came by in the car of grace. 
and he saw you where you were and he picked you up and he put you in the seat of his love. And you, even though you are riding with Jesus, you are still struggling with the weight. And the reason why is because you won't lay it down in his grace. Because you still think you gotta hold it up when the whole time he's actually carrying you, you just won't lay it down. And so today, what I'm saying to you is that if you've trusted Jesus as your savior, if you've gotten in the car of grace, then lay your burdens down, he'll take you home. Rest. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't gotten into the car of grace, then Jesus is here and he says, come on, come to me. Come to me. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you, are you weary? Come to me. Here's what Eugene Peterson uh, takes this verse and, and he paraphrases it. He puts it like this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, come. Will you come to him? Let's bow your heads. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, I know there are people that are worn slick out. Maybe they've gotten into the car of grace and trusted you as their savior, but they're still trying to hold on to the baggage of their past. God, would they lay it down in the, in the, in the arms of your grace? They lay it down. Father, I pray for those in this room that need to get in the car. They need to lay their, their burdens down and jump in and trust you and go on a ride with you that takes them home. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I love you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.